Hello, and welcome to Plastic Possibilities, a podcast produced by Plastics Today. I'm Rick Lingle, Senior Technical Editor. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Anant Chaverdi, who's the Vice Chairman and CEO of Flex Films, the global packaging films arm of Uflex. He will update us regarding the India-based global flexible packaging manufacturers initiatives relative to sustainable packaging and new products. Nanshree, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, uh, Rick. Great to be here. It's our pleasure. I see from your bio that you are a firm believer in life coach Tony Robbins' principle, where focus goes, energy flows. Where is your focus these days? So, I mean, the reason why I believe in that saying is because, you know, I've, I've always, I've actually done a lot of Tony Robbins seminars. In fact, you know, I'm actually on the Netflix documentary that he's on, I'm featured sort of a little bit on that documentary. So our focus, really everyone's focus in the polymer business over the last couple of years has of course shifted on sustainability, right? So everyone will tell you their focus is on sustainability. For us, our focus has been on sustainability, but from a very practical perspective. But if I really tell you what my focus has been on is that I'm a firm believer in focusing on growth and self-improvement. And that's on a material level, a mental level, physical level, a spiritual level. And that goes for myself as well as for Uflex, you know, the organization that I'm committed to. And our focus has always been on how can we be a responsible manufacturer for the future? How do we be future ready with the products that we're currently making and we aim to make in the future? Um, and how can we design and make products that are going to be valid for the consumers of tomorrow? You know, And that's really the challenge. So if you really ask me what I'm focused on, you know, most most people would say they're focused on the mission, the purpose, the vision, you know, the values of the company. I will tell you, I'm not focused on any of those. I'm focused on what the soul of the company is. And what do I mean by what the soul of the company is? Soul of the company is the is the work you do for, you know, the improvement and self-care of how you can be valid in the future without causing any harm, you know? And that's the most important thing a polymer enterprise has to look at today is because we get a bad rep for causing excessive harm today, you know? And that's the story that all of us have to turn around. That's a unique viewpoint. You come seem very passionate about your work and your company. We're gonna be fleshing that out a little bit and drilling down sure. in some of these following questions. So the company has been expanding its capabilities with biaxially oriented PET, BO PET, BOPET, and biaxially oriented polypropylene, BOPP or BOP. Can you talk a little bit about the capital investments and these materials? What are the benefits and why are they in demand? So I'll start first with the materials, right? I mean, the obvious thing is that, you know, BOPET, has advantages when it comes to oxygen barriers. BOPP, you know, has advantages when it comes to water barrier. 
And these are, you know, that's the core, that's the crux of the benefits of these materials, right? Now, from a, you know, from a layperson perspective, it all sort of floats down from there, you know? The why these materials are in demand, even today with, you know, sustainability becoming such a big, you know, such a big initiative and quite frankly, you know, plastic waste uh, disposal becoming such a big issue is because right now there are no real alternatives for that provide the same kind of barrier for it's not even really just about just the cost but you know if you look at other alternative materials like glass or aluminium you know they might even provide a superior barrier but then you have to give up other things like weight or logistics transportation you know space within um, a container unit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, they, you know, the, the economics of how certain things work get realigned when you let go of these materials. And that's actually the main driving force of why these materials are so high in demand. And the pandemic even led to an increase in this demand because it changed people's consumption habits so dramatically. You know, people ate at home more. They can, you know, at, at least during the initial period of the pandemic, you know, restaurants were shut down and people ate out less. Now that's, there's a resurgence in restaurants, but individual packaging became more important because people were afraid of touch. So that has led, you know, to the, uh, you know, I would say a temporary, even a more extraordinary temporary boost of demand in these materials. But really when we talk about, you know, BOPET and BOPP, you know, the reason why they're in demand is that they've always been competing materials, um, and they've been in competing. They've been competing materials because they provide barrier properties. BOPP has had a recently a, a spectacular run over the last couple of years because it's been it's been touted as a recyclable monomaterial when it's combined with polyethylene and you know other sort of monomaterials. But unfortunately, BOPP was not able to achieve the same barrier levels that polyester has, you know, so that kind of, that story has is still got to be finished and BOPP is still second when it comes to barrier properties to BOPET and that's why BOPET is still valid and increasing capacities are coming in both. If you look at uh, globally, you know, you know, increased capacities are coming excessively, to be honest with you, beyond, beyond what the demand is in both these uh, products. Um, and, you know, it's a combination of capacity that's going to come from virgin uh, material, as well as capacity that's going to come from sustainable sources. Um, and hopefully it's going to be a good mix of both. And most modern machinery is capable of producing both. From us, from our side, you know, we've, we've done, you know, three great, five great expansions, really, uh, three new locations and five expansions for these materials in Russia, Poland, Egypt, Nigeria, and Hungary. And then we have a new site that's going to come up in Bangalore for, you know, for BOPET and CPP. And we have, you know, a, a site coming up in the Middle East um, in our Dubai facility for in the UAE for CPP again. And then we have a liquid, our Tetra uh, pack sort of comp competition, uh, a sector division that's expanding in, in our site in India, in Gujarat. So, I mean, for us, we are, you know, very committed to these materials. Um, and as we talk more about sustainability, I will talk a little bit to you about how we've actually tailored these materials to be future ready and sustainable, you know, um, for the next generation of uh, consumers that, 
that will still need these materials to be around. Okay, very well said. Uh, let's pull back a little bit and look at the market drivers. What are the major trends that you're seeing? And how do these trends um, align with or diverge from other regions in the world? So the major trends that I'm, you know, that I'm seeing, let's say in India and Asia, of course, sustainability, I would say, is the global trend that is emerging everywhere. Um, and sustainability is a major driving force, but the basic difference that it really comes down to, Rick, is everyone's understanding of sustainability. You know? So if you look at markets like India and Asia, their understanding of sustainability is very visible. Um, and they, you know, for them, there's, you know, for, 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 you know, markets that are developing, there's a lot of visible issues when it comes to dealing with, you know, waste that's on the street, waste that's, you know, being left uh, in visible areas and waste that's not being collected and managed. Um, so a lot of the trends that you will see emerging in these economies will be tailored how to get that waste to the right site, to the right landfill, to the right collection center, to the right recycling center. And if you look at the developed world, if you look at you know the US or North America, Europe, these you know these other developed economies, their definition of sustainability is more to do with how do you deal with waste that's already been collected. You know, once China closed its doors to not being buying you know, waste anymore from, you know, the developed world, the developed world now has to come up with solutions to deal with the waste that, you know, we are creating. And now the solutions that, that have to be created, especially with freight rates, the way they are and things like that, uh, that are going up, which make logistics a little bit even more of a challenge. Um, the developer has to come up with solutions that are on the ground and ready to go. So if I talk about trends, sustainability as a trend in both these places is being looked upon in different ways. But another trend that I think a lot of people are not talking about is really digitalization. You know, um, what I'm seeing is, you know, right now, the penetration of technology, and this is something that is an amazing thing that's happening both in places like India and other parts of Asia, as well as the US. And the amazing part about this is that the, the, the transition is almost seamless, you know, um, because the technology platforms and the devices and the processing power almost gets, you know, within a few days now, um, you know, becomes equivalent in these places, right? So the use of technology to learn more about the packaging that people are purchasing, you know, reading a QR code on a package and learning a story about the origins of a product. Um, if you look at um, the recent investments that have been made by some converters into, um, you know, data companies where they are, you know, basically buying into um, formats that will enable them to digitalize packaging, in the future, um, maybe even print, you know, digitalized versions of, of uh, you know, packaging material that will speak to the customer, that will customize 
um, the message to the customer and, and be able to you know, tailor um, the contents of what's inside realistically and from from a very very custom point of view outside and 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 do you know complete custom messaging to the customer that's a big trend that's emerging i would say on both sides of the equation it will in the end of course it will come down to cost um, and of course the cost will be you know much better maintained and served in the developing the developed world than the developing world but the transition will be fast and it'll be seamless. Um, and that's a big, big trend that, um, that I'm seeing. Um, another big trend that I'm seeing that's emerging um, really, and this one is more in North America and the US, um, and it's not as much, um, and it needs to, it will eventually trickle down to Asia, is the use of digital currency emerging as a platform for exclusive use from waste to become into wealth, you know? So what I'm seeing now is that, you know, there are people exploring some versions of a Bitcoin, some versions of some kind of digital currency that will be pegged to a certain unit of recycled polyester, recycled BOPP, recycled CPP, and all these recycled glass, recycled aluminum, or waste aluminum, or waste glass, or you know, whatever these diff- whatever different kinds of waste they can collect or mixed uh, MLP waste or whatever it is. And then that will be pegged to a certain digital currency. And that digital currency will obviously translate into a, 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 a real dollar denomination. But because the West is much more, the developed world is much more open to the adaptation of digital currency as opposed to uh, Asian countries, which right now are very, very skeptical of digital currencies, this trend is more emerging on that side of the world as opposed to Asia and India. But I think eventually it'll trickle down as well. Thank you for that. It sounds like you you believe there's going to be a tipping point for these cryptocurrencies, because I know I follow Twitter very closely in terms of plastic and packaging developments, and I've seen a lot of chatter surrounding plastic bank and similar entities that are Absolutely. squarely involved in that space. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think it's an eventuality. I don't think it's even a debate anymore. So now you've set us up uh, for the next question. So we move from, from the trends to getting into some of the products and developments that your company has either in the market or upcoming. What can you say about the... Uh, products that are online and aligned with these trends? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, Rick, that's kind of my favorite topic. So I'd be happy to talk to you about what we have in the pipeline. Um, So, I mean, we were, you know, the first company in the world to um, recycle mixed plastic waste. And we got recognized for this in the Davos Recycling Forum in 1995. Honestly, no one paid really attention to this stuff for many, many years. And now that sustainability has become much of a thing, this um, technology that that we, you know, honestly created before our time now has become a valid technology. So we're doing a lot of work in this, you know, in this space. And within this space, we have, you know, our first product, which is our, you know, PCR-based Celsius film. And I named it a Celsius based on the Greek god of medicine because I feel like it's it's a way of us healing the earth where we 
you know, where we make 100% and we're the only Kingfisher certified company in the world that makes 100% PCR content, BOPT film, um, which is, you know, we take basically waste um, off, you know, the street and create back packaging, you know, BOPET film, usable packaging BOPET film, which is completely equivalent to um, the, you know, virgin material uh, equivalent of it's the same spec and uh, and we but we make it out of 100% uh, PCR content you know and then we have of course you know um, some pioneering customers that um, that have taken advantage of this customers like UPM Rafla Tech which is our our customers that does labels and it's been an interesting journey to to do this uh, but also this film you know has a 75% reduction in the carbon footprint versus virgin grade bopet grade film so not only are we taking waste off the street but we also have a significant reduction in the carbon footprint that these films create once they enter in the market and they can be you know recycled endlessly with very little wastage and minimum loss the second thing is of course I'm super excited about this one which is our enzyme flex enzyme based biodegradable technology which basically is you know a technology that's a plant based enzyme infused technology that is used to make multi layer plastic waste and basically uh, in, I'll, I'll tell you tell it to you in, in a layperson term you know we our biodegradable solution creates organic matter so it creates our enzymes take the polymer and create basically, you know, you know, glucose or sugar out of it that, en you know, enzymes and ants will eat. And, you know, it's not oxo-biodegradable in any way. It's not creating any kind of microplastic. And again, it's, you know, the carbon, this carbon footprint is absolutely negligible, if not minimal. And, uh, and it's, it's a complete solution for the, um, you know, I'll, and I'll talk about the stock and flow problem of polymers a little bit later because I know we have a lot of sustainability topics to cover after. So, super excited about that. And then, of course, you know, we have, our, you know, we've developed a lot of monomaterials that we're using, like our FHSP films, um, and um, we have some barrier materials that we've de developed. Um, we have some amazing laminate structures that we've developed. We have some amazing paper-based tubes like our Craftica program um, that have, we have developed as part of our sustainability initiatives. And then we're also doing a lot of work on um, in our chemicals divisions to go towards, you know, to completely get rid of solvent-based inks and go completely towards water-based inks. So, I mean, we've taken on the initiative to completely get rid of any kind of ink or adhesive that we're manufacturing that has any kind of negative carbon footprint or any kind of negative impact in the environment, you know? So those are some of the initiatives um, that we've done from a new product perspective, but we do about we do about three new product launches um, every quarter, um, you know, and then you know, there's, there's actually a lot more exciting stuff that I actually can't talk about yet that I would love to talk to you about down the line. That's, that's actually super cool, you know, stuff, stuff that's nano, nanotech based and, you know, and so, you know, there's, there's stuff that, you know, uh, waste management systems that we are installing right now that are infrared and AI based and stuff that, that we'll be able to talk about down the line. 
Great. I made it a point to uh, make a note of that and loop back to you at some point. And regarding some of these exciting products you've referenced, um, for our listeners in the U.S. and North America, are those available now or will be soon to the U.S. and North America market? Oh, the, the, all the products that I mentioned are available now. Globally. And of course, the big topic is um, we're going to loop back now uh, to sustainability. So I was wondering if you could kind of comment in a broad way about some of the, the major things going on there in terms of some bans that have been in India. Um, Absolutely. You referenced some recycling. And again, the ultimate goal here is for circularity within a circular economy for plastics. So if you could please just give us a little of your insights about that whole complex issue. Absolutely. And and Rick, it it is a complex issue and it's um, and I'm glad you you brought it up in in that way because it is a very, very complex issue. But, you know, but let's let's try to simplify it. Right. And then if I simplify it, you know, plastics has two problems. Polymers have two problems. Right. And all planet, you know, killing, I would say, or planet-destroying forces have two problems, right? Whether it's plastic, whether it's greenhouse emissions, whether it's excessive population, you know, there's a stock problem and there's a flow problem, you know? There's a stock of polymers that exists on the planet that is living in landfills, that's living in people's homes, that, you know, as part of old electronics that people refuse to throw away or whatever, you know, that's living on streets, that's living in, you know, and unempty trash cans, whatever you may have it, right? And then there's a flow problem that manufacturers like ours and other manufacturers all over the world are adding to that problem and consumers that are using those products every day are adding to that existing stock, you know? Now, how do you solve this? How do you solve this? Now, one approach is you do a ban, right? So now bans are an interesting way to solve the problem, but when you ban something, like how in India the approach is always to sort of ban something, you know, the equation that always pops out is necessity is the mother of innovation. You know, so what happens is you trade then one substrate for another. So a couple of years ago, for example, you know, India banned plastic on tobacco products. You know, and I'll talk about an example of India, and then I'll talk to you about another example that you'll find surprising. But you know, India banned. Exactly, you know, plastics on tobacco products, and what that led to is almost overnight, you know, India, you know, Indian converters innovated out of this and started making the same format, similar format of tobacco products out of paper with, you know, you know, with 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 a coating on top of it, with various kind of polymer coatings and you know other kinds of inks and adhesives and things like that. But what that led to down the line, right? What did that ban lead to? What that ban led to down the line is you took a single polymer laminate structure that was actually recyclable and is today recyclable and biodegradable, you know, with the technologies that exist today. But you you then broke it down and you made three separate products that now the consumer buys separately, mixes together, so in actual fact, you created, you know, an inefficiency of resources and you added, in fact, more waste to the environment because now the same consumer, the number of consumers did not go down, the number of consumers kept growing, but now the same consumer buys three pouches, three products, 
and uses them and then disposes of those three pouches. And sure, they're made out of paper um, with a, you know, a, a coating layer of polymer on top of it, but it's, it wasn't a solution. Similarly, in New York, I would say I saw you know, plastic polyethylene bags being banned in New York for use. And you know, please believe me, I in no way, shape, or form support um, polyethylene bags. You know, you know, I think there's many other ways to use that. But you know, it is a product. It's a product that's existed, and again, it is a product that's recyclable, um, and it is a product that is actually very, very easily biodegradable if you make small changes to the master batch. Um, so that was replaced with paper. The paper is mostly inside coated with some kind of EVOH layer or some kind of polymer layer. But what I see now, most people do when I'm in the grocery store in New York is they take two, three, sometimes even four or six bags. And they're not, not only double bagging, they're triple bagging or four times bagging the same amount. Now, what that leads to is an excessive use of resources. And there are, whether we like it or not, there are going to be consequences of that down the line, repercussions of that that we are not looking at right now. So when we talk about, you know, this, you know, sustainability, it, it, we, we have to look at long-term solutions. And when you talk about, you know, you talked about circularity, the circle economy, right? When, it, when, when we talk about the circle economy in India, in, in a place like India, collection and then disposal of that collection just simply collecting, you know, waste off the street, waste off from people's homes, waste from sorting and segregating that waste and then getting it to the right recycler. Even a recycler like us, which is very efficient, I mean, just a few steps away from where I'm sitting right now is the largest, uh, you know, multi-layer recycling plastic waste facility in the world, you know? But even getting it here is a huge challenge, you know? So you have to overcome that challenge and you have to have, you know, people and a system that's willing to drive that forward um, in a realistic, holistic, sustainable way that translates real wealth, you know, back from waste without having as many middle men, as many middle people in that process. You know, when it comes to the developed world, again, you know, the rules are so different. In Europe and parts of America, people will not even collect waste when it's not properly segregated. But there are many parts of America where it doesn't matter whether you segregate the waste or not, you know, and that waste will go. You know, there are collection centers and waste various grocery centers or various grocery stores that I that I see that have plastic collection centers and things like that. But realistically speaking, you know, how many times do you really, really see a consumer sort out, segregate their waste, and then go and, you know, dispose of it in the right way, in the right format. So a circular economy sounds fantastic in theory, but unless it requires minimal effort by the end user, by the end consumer, unfortunately, it's not something that really scales very, very quickly. And that's the magic balance that, you know, we're trying to, that all of us, the polymer industry, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going to be the magic balance. Because in the end, you know, to your last point on this question, recycling is the answer. You know, a combination of mechanical and chemical recycling will be the answer to 
the future of polymers. You know, so if you look at our initiative, which is Project Plastic Fix, you know, we have multi-layer recycled waste, we have paralysis, um, and our way of doing paralysis, which is is you know completely um, you know uh, carbon neutral, so we have no negative greenhouse emissions. And then we have um, our Ashelsius film, which is our you know PCR product. And last, we have our flex you know flex enzyme, which is our biodegradable product. So the top, the first three take care of the stock problem for us. The last one takes care of the flow problem. So that you know once you add our biodegradable you know master batch or coating to your polyester BOPP film, you know or CPP film, you know and let, God forbid that product does not get collected back into the circular economy and gets disposed of in soil um, or you know gets left behind um, on the street somewhere, it will biodegrade and turn into sugarcane. It'll turn into glucose, you know? Um, so we, you know, wh why we came up with the solution we came up with is because our solution requires minimum effort by the consumers. So sustainability, is a beautiful thing, but sustainability only scales with minimum effort, you know? And uh, bands are, I'm not saying they're good or they're bad, but bands are inher inherently inefficient because they're causing consumers to switch behaviors um, and consumers are not very good at switching behaviors because it's hard to change a habit, you know? It's just, it's just not easy. Right, as we talked about the complexities of sustainability and that uh, the bans have sort of opened up the wild card of the unintended consequences that they've run into when you don't Absolutely. do a thorough, holistic approach to the problem. Um, Absolutely. As we wind things down here, I'm going to let you uh, forecast a little bit of the future, if you don't mind. So we've talked about um, flexible packaging and, and really the efficiency of flexible packaging is unprecedented amongst all the packaging formats. Where do you think the market is, is heading? What's next in flexible packaging? So, you know, of course, um, you know, some of the obvious things are, you know, the flexible packaging, you know, is going to create more and more, you know, today consumers buy not so much for need. They don't buy as much for um, want. You know, they want, they, they, it's, today purchasing is based on emotional experience. It's based on a social experience, you know? So packaging today is driven more and more by this emotional, you know, invocation that it inspires. So if you look at packaging today, it's, it's, it's going to evolve more and more into, you know, how a product, you know, invokes an emotional response from its not only aesthetics but it's you know it's it's the materials it uses the you know the tactile feel it gives uh, and really uh, whether it aligns with the values of the con the particular consumer that's choosing to use it you know um, and of course sustainability is going to be a big part of that recycling whether the is going to be a big part of that you know um, using packaging beyond its original use, you know, you know, buying something and then turning it into something else, you know, buying a box and then turning it into a flower pot later, or, you know, um, buying something and then turning it into a toy box after unpacking or something like that. 
you know, the, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of packaging designers I'm seeing now are starting to think about designing packaging in general and flexible packaging as well from the perspective of what is what can be an immediate secondary use for this packaging so that it does not turn into single use, it does not turn into waste right away, you know? Um, you know, of course, getting away from fossil fuels and, and, and getting more into the circular economy, getting into biodegradability, um, you know, those are some of the things we talked about, but, you know, and then, you know, you know, getting to the point of where sustainability is the quality that you want in a product and you accept the, you know, sustainability as the quality, you know, the final quality of a certain product. That's very, very important. So, for example, today, if, a you know, a sustainable product, uh, a recycled product, which might have, because, you know, when you collect essentially waste and trash off the street and then you're, you're cleaning it, you're processing it, you're reprocessing it, it might lead to some discoloration. It might lead to some, you know, uh, um, uh, some minor, uh, it wouldn't lead to any quality issues. I mean, in terms of the the, uh, the molecular structure of the product, but it might lead to, you know, the product not looking as pretty, it might not look as, as gleaming bright and shiny as you want it to look. Today, consumers, you know, a lot of consumers will reject that as a product because they might say, you know what, this product does not look authentic or this product might not look, you know, um, this this product is, uh, is, you know, there's something wrong with this manufacturing batch or something like that, right? But tomorrow's consumers and the consumers of, you know, I'd say Gen Z that are emerging, you know, they will, and I see them already do that, right? They will gladly accept that product as long as they're told that, you know, this is coming from a sustainable source and that's why this is discolored, you know? So recently, you know, um, my team told me about, uh, uh, um, you know, a company in India that makes uh, hand sanitizers and they released a special bottle that's made out of 100% PCR sources. And that was, an, you know, they usually their usual packaging is an all white with a green uh, spout on top. And this was an all black bottle with a black spout on top. And, you know, it was, a, it was about 20% more expensive than their usual, you know, their, their usual product. Um, but, you know, it was it, it did well in the consumer realm because a certain kind of consumer did want to buy that product. And that's why they, they made a product like that. So I think that's going to be a big sort of, you know, trend in flexible packaging where you're going to see, you know, an acceptability of, you know, sustainable material permeating in the market um, with its flaws and its discolorations, but that's going to be celebrated. And then, you know, digitalization, I, as I said before, that's going to be a big trend, I think, in the future. I think we don't understand the impact of it today. I, I don't think the industry as a whole understands the impact of it today, but this is already starting to happen in the e-commerce space today. If you order, you know, um, you know, it's going, if you order a box of diapers from Amazon and you order Amazon's generic brand, you get... A, you know, a printing, you know, a little printed, you know, uh, brochure with the origins of that, you know, of where those diapers come from. And you will be told everything that's in that diaper, you know. And of course, baby products and pet food products have an excessive, um, you know, literature behind them because 
those are very, very, you know, the, the, the standards of um, safety for them are very, very high, but that's going to permeate. You know, way packaging, printing will work across the industry, how we look at packages today and the information that we want from them. We're not only going to want the nutritional calorie and where it's made and how it's, you know, and, and, and where it was manufactured and, you know, all those basic details. We also want to know, you know, what was the origin of this product? Where did the raw material, where did the ingredients come from? You know, what was the story behind it? And I think the last thing I will tell you is, you know, with the global population growing as fast as it's growing, and with us going to 9.8 or 10 billion people by 2050, you know, as water and food become scarce resources, the only protection that realistically right now that will go towards those protecting those essential resources is packaging. You know, packaging protects agriculture. Packaging protects fresh water. You know, packaging will take care of making sure that these resources get to those 10 billion consumers. Um, and what we need to make sure as an industry is that the packaging that those consumers use is the packaging that gets recycled and put back in the system so that we're not all living on top of piles of landfills. You know, So that's what I feel is next in flexible packaging. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, Samantha. We've learned a lot and you've stimulated additional thought. I also want to thank our audience for listening. You can find out more information about UFLEX and Flex Films portfolio and products and links in the accompanying text. That's it for this edition of Plastic Possibilities. So long, everyone. Thank you for having me.